0: You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. My name is Jesse Forster, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet. And I'm still just sitting in the beauty and the power of our community coming around these families as they make this bold and beautiful choice to dedicate their children to know who Jesus is and to share Jesus' love. And I'm grateful that we are in a community where we can show this type of support. And the beautiful thing about doing this on Mother's Day is that it recognizes that parenting and raising children cannot be done in isolation, right? And that God actually calls us to be in community with one another. That the church is not just something that we do, but is something that we are. We are the body of Christ. We show up for each other in all seasons of life. We show up for each other in moments of celebration like today in witnessing these families. We show up in moments of celebration in Mother's Day. We show up to recognize the mothers and the women who show us what God's heart looks like, show us what God looks like. But we also show up for each other in difficult seasons. Because while Mother's Day is certainly something to celebrate and to shout for joy about, we as a community also recognize that days like today can stir up an array of emotions in our, in our hearts. We recognize that we may come into this space with our own stories, and Mother's Day may be hopeful, it may be exciting, but it also may have feelings of pain and hopelessness even. And as a community, we are not only okay with sharing that burden with our brothers and sisters, but we are intentional about creating relationships of trust where we know that we are held by God's love through community. So if you're here today and there is an array of emotions that you're feeling, we as a community want you to know that you are not alone. You are loved exactly how you enter this space today. You are loved by us, and you are loved by God who is present here and now. And today we're continuing our series called Moments of Success. And last week, Joel walked us through this idea of contentment. And today we're going to talk about what it looks like to live in the moment. What is the beauty of experiencing joy now? Why this is difficult? But also why it is absolutely essential, for it'll give us a life of gratitude and generosity and wholeness and community. But before we dive in the message, I'd love to invite our ushers forward to receive our offering. You know, if you call Kensington home, this is an opportunity for us to come together to say, we believe in sharing God's love throughout our community, locally and even globally. And so there are a number of different ways that you can give, and the options are up on, uh, on the uh, screens here. My family and I, we, we give through the app, and that's an easy way. But there's also ushers have bags that we can pass around. So while we do that, will you all just pray with me as well? Father God, I thank you so much for this opportunity for us to celebrate these families, celebrate these beautiful children, to celebrate the women and moms in our lives. And Lord, I pray that today as we hear your word on what it is to experience joy now, that you help us just to have our hearts and our minds open to what you have for us today, both as individuals but also as a community. And I lift these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few weeks ago, I had one of those moments. You know those moments when you think to yourself, oh, when this season is over, then things will be so much easier. So if we haven't had a chance to meet yet or meet my family, my husband Neil and I have three little kids. We have two newly six-year-old twins and then a three-year-old daughter named Claire. And a couple weeks ago, it was your average Wednesday. I had ran over to the other side of town to pick Claire up from daycare and then raced back home to meet the bus before my six-year-old twins get off of the bus. It's a negotiation of after-school snacks, what they can have, what they can't have. There's chaos going on and, and you know, we're managing it. I'm trying to get dinner ready. You know, if you've been in that season of life, you know that, that, that feeling. And so it's a balmy 48 degrees outside, so my northern Michigan kids want to go outside and play in the backyard. So I send them out in the backyard, and I'm, I'm finishing something up inside. So I'm, I think I was finishing getting my shoes on and getting dinner in the oven. And then I walk outside, and my children bombard me with these bubble toys they received from their grandparents for their birthdays. And they want to play with bubbles. And so I sit down in this cardboard box, which they make so difficult to open. And I'm sitting on our back porch steps trying to figure it out and also doing the AA battery calculation in my head. Do I have enough batteries that these kids aren't fighting over these toys? And I'm sitting there and my three-year-old daughter, Claire, is standing a little bit away from me. And she starts saying, mom, 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 mom. Now, Claire is in the stage where mom is her favorite word. She says it all the time. So you will excuse me if I stayed focused on what I was doing and didn't immediately look up. But then she walks closer to me, and her moms start to become more of like a scream, a type of scream where you know as a parent something is really wrong. So I drop the cardboard box, and I'm looking at her, and I put my hands on her shoulders, I'm saying, sweetie, what's wrong? Are you okay? What's wrong? And I can't see. She didn't fall, and I couldn't see what was going on. And she's turning her head, and as she turns her head, I see in her temple a bee stinger sticking out. I know. Poor baby had been stung by a bee. So I grab her, I run inside, I open up the freezer. I grab an, opened can- an open bag of frozen corn because that felt like the best choice in that moment. And we go and we sit on the couch and I'm calming her down, telling her it's okay. And like two minutes later, our other daughter, our six-year-old Cora, is in the other room and she starts screaming, bee, bee, bee. And So I, I drop the corn all over the couch. I put Claire down. I walk into the other room and there's another bee in there. So what do I do? I take my shoe off and I take care of the bee. I'm sorry, I love honeybees, but I did not have the time in that moment to decipher what this was. So she starts cry- stops crying, and Claire's okay. She's calming down, and I look around at my, my life in that moment, the chaos in that moment. There's discarded snack remnants on the table. Dinner is almost halfway done. There's laundry piles, which maybe they're clean, maybe they're dirty. We don't really even know at this point. And this thought rumbles into my head. When they are older, then it will be so much less chaotic. When, then. When, then. When I get out of school, then I'll be free. When I make more money, then I won't need to worry anymore. When the kids are out of the house, then finally I will have some peace. When I'm married, then I will be fulfilled. We all do it. We all use the hope of the future to escape the reality of our present. And we do this not just as adults, but this habit begins when we are kids, right? Claire, the three-year-old, we call her the wannabe triplet because she cannot wait until she's old enough to do the things that her older siblings do. We can all relate to that feeling. My six-year-old, Claire Cora, she, she always says, when I'm older, then I'll get to do everything that I want. I laugh at that one, that's a good one. But we do this, and as we become adults, this habit ingrains itself into our heart. As things get more difficult, more challenging, we start this habit of almost subconsciously wishing away every stage of looking forward to the next thing, the future thing, as if it is the answer to everything that is wrong and difficult in the current season. And while it is absolutely human nature to look towards the future, to have hope for the not yet, there is a danger to putting all of our energy and focus into the future. The danger is that we risk falling into the trap of individualistic thinking, of thinking only about what can propel ourselves as individuals to get to that next stage. I've done this in many periods of my life where I have looked towards my own personal success and have only looked toward the future. And during those seasons, my heart, it loses its way because what ends up happening is I close my hands and I close my heart to anything that deters me from what I need to do to get to that future. Whether it's building a career whether it's building this idea of family that we have made in our own heads, whether it's building our money or our possessions or even building towards our own health and well-being. When we constantly focus on the future of dreaming of what will be, we forget to celebrate and live in gratitude in the present. We miss that God calls us to live in gratitude in the current season. We miss the opportunity to experience gratitude and wholeness and generosity. We miss the opportunity to move from what is best for the individual to living open-handedly in gratitude for God's love for us. But we have good news. This idea of not taking the present moment for granted, of struggling to stay present in the moment, this is an ancient issue. We are not the first generations of people to struggle with staying rooted in the present. In the Old Testament, there's actually a book that may have been written by King Solomon, and it's called Ecclesiastes, and it's full of admonishments and ponderings of what it looks like to live in the present, how it is holy to live in the present. The Ecclesiastes writer invites us and encourages us in many ways to experience joy now. One such verse that maybe you've heard before, maybe you've heard without even realizing that it is scripture, comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. And it says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Or maybe this verse sounds familiar. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God, for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? Or what about this one, about living in community? Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content. With his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. So, what do these three? scripture verses have to do with living in the present and how they warn away the dangers of when-then thinking, warn away of putting all of our focus into the vision of what future success may look like. Let me give you a story to explain. So infamous bee sting happened, and then a couple weeks later, this past Monday, my twins turned six. Now, I recognize that six is still very young, But this birthday hit me a little bit harder than the other ones because it just feels like they are growing up so fast that my four-pound babies are on their way into full-on childhood and the years are flying by. And the Sunday before we celebrated their birthday, we went over to our friend's house. And this is a regular thing that we try to do. We bring three families together and we have a meal and, and we try to get some conversation in between the adults. And... There are eight kids, eight and under, that gather for this gathering. So if you want to talk about chaotic, these gatherings are the definition of chaotic. It's difficult to have a conversation without really being interrupted at all. But at the end of this uh, dinner, I had brought over some leftover cake from the night before celebrating the twins' birthday. So we sat down, and we're eating cake. And all of a sudden, my friends, our friends, our community, come around my twins and start singing them happy birthday. This impromptu singing of happy birthday. And in that moment where we were rooted in God's love, where we were rooted in community with one another, I experienced such a level of gratitude and joy now of experiencing that moment for what it was. And the real beauty of it was later that night, was putting my six-year-old to bed. And she said to me, the same six-year-old who thinks about getting older and how much better it will be, she says, Mom, I wish I had a pause button so I could pause these moments and live in them again. Now, it could be that she wanted more cake. That's possible. (laughs) But without even knowing it, Korah sensed the gratitude of living in the present, the gratitude of the joy now without the dangers of when then thinking. See, what King Solomon was getting at in Ecclesiastes is that when we focus on the present moment before us, we develop a perspective of gratitude and wholeness. That whenever life ebbs and flows through the hardships, we know that we are rooted in that love. Let's look at it from a different perspective to understand the dangers of wind. then thinking the dangers of putting all of our hope into the future. So during Jesus' ministry, he used parables to tell stories to people before him to help them understand and help us understand his word and his teachings even better. And there's one parable that Jesus told. It's It's documented in Luke's gospel. And the parable goes like this. There was a rich man, a rich farmer, and he one year had an incredible harvest The harvest was so good, he actually had extra from his harvest. But the rich man had a problem. Because his harvest was so good, he couldn't fit everything in his barns. So what is he to do? He decides that he's going to tear down his barns and build newer ones, build bigger ones so that he can store all of this grain, this harvest that he has. And then he thinks to himself, this is a very good idea because I'm going to hold all of this grain for myself so that someday I will be able to enjoy it. And it says in verse 19, this is the farmer speaking to himself, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Now in the future, you can take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry." But as Jesus tells the story, what this man does not know is that he does not have many years to enjoy. And in fact, he'll pass away that very night. So what's the point that Jesus was trying to make in this moment? How is Jesus warning us of the dangers of when-then-thinking? when then thinking You see, in this parable, the rich man begins his win-then thinking with a scarcity mindset. His barns are already full. He has the surplus harvest, but his mindset is that he has to keep it to himself. He has a mindset that there's limited resources, and so what I have, I have to hold tight so he makes this choice to live in scarcity instead of living in gratitude and abundance, and he hoards it. And this is such an easy pattern to fall into. We need to be careful. I need to be careful of my judgment of this rich man because it is so easy to think about the future that, that we have to work towards the future, and then therefore we have to hold the resources that we have to ourselves in the present and just like the farmer in his wind then thinking feeds into a scarcity mindset, we begin to think that we can never have enough in the present. And so we build and we build and we store our harvest. And no matter how much we are building towards, no matter how much we are growing, we feel like there is never enough. And this desire continues to build inside of us. And it becomes a habit. Just as the pattern of the rich, man, of rich farmer built into, he became a habit for him. My guess is he had probably had surplus harvest in the past. And so, this habit of building into his own stores, building into his own harvest, it never filled him up. And this idea of developing a scarcity mindset, leading into thinking that we have never enough, leads into the dangers of self centeredness. The rich farmer in this story, there is no discussion about somebody else in this parable. The rich farmer was thinking about what he needed. The dangers of when then thinking, of constantly looking to the future, is it fuels us to look towards self-centeredness. Just like the rich farmer, encouraging himself to hold on to his own resources, to hold on to his own energy, to hold on to his own time. And he closed his fists to anything else so that he can get to that next season when he can finally enjoy it. And the dangers of this thinking is it leads to individualism. Individualism is the idea of looking to our own interests to the exclusion of others, of looking to what we need to succeed, what this rich farmer needs to succeed so that he can propel himself forward. That you cannot trust others, you cannot trust community, but you must protect your own interests. Individualism is the opposite of what Jesus calls us into. See, I believe. That Jesus shared this parable partially to share with us the dangers of wind then thinking and the dangers of individualism. The dangers that when we hold all of our resources, our time, and because we're only looking towards the future, it leads us to a life devoid of joy, a life devoid of love, a life devoid of community. It leads to death. Maybe not actual, physical death, but the death of the joy that God invites us into. A joy of living in the present, fulfilled by God's love, his love that is present for us in all circumstances. So what's the antidote? What's the antidote to win them thinking? What leads us away from constantly striving for the future? What helps us to be rooted in the present? What helps us experience joy now? The first antidote is gratitude. First Thessalonians chapter five, verses 16 and 18. Rejoice always, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances. When Paul wrote this to the Thessalonians, he didn't say give thanks when the future is looking really good. He wrote in the present tense, give thanks in all circumstances. What are you thankful for? Seriously, take a moment. Think about what you're thankful for. I'm thankful that I'm standing here. I'm thankful that I had a warm bed to sleep in last night. I am thankful for this community. I am thankful that God loves me and empowers me to love His people. And you know what? Just sharing those statements of gratitude, it fills my chest with a fullness and a wholeness that is unique because it comes from God's love. As those thoughts of gratitude hopefully have come through your head, do you feel that fullness, too? After allowing your focus to stay on the present, irrespective to the future. You see, gratitude allows us to feel wholeness that when, then thinking could never. Wholeness means that we are not trapped in this never enough thinking. That we aren't constantly on this hamster wheel of trying to gain more or do more or be more with wholeness through the sense of gratitude for God's love that we know is always present for us in all seasons. Our heart is full, and we don't need to fall into the trap of when-then thinking. And we make the choice to hop off that hamster wheel. We make the choice to bask in the beauty of God's love for us, even when things are hard, even when the circumstances are changing and stormy. Because if you hear one thing today, what I want you to hear, what God wants you to hear, is that God's love for you right now, in this moment, as you come into into this room, is present. He is here. In that song that we sang, God's love for you is so immense. And gratitude for that love fills us to the brim. It fills us to the brim so we are overflowing, and from that overflow streams generosity from gratitude to wholeness to generosity generosity a spirit gives us the courage and the ability to move away from the self-centeredness of wind and thinking It helps us to know that we are loved, and when we are rooted in God's love, we have the freedom to move away from our self-interest. We have the freedom to live open-handedly. We have the freedom to experience the joy of living open-handedly. We learn through a generous life, an open-handed life, that God shows up, that we can trust him that we can trust in his provision that we are not alone, that we do not need to focus on ourselves to experience joy. We don't need to put all of our hope in some future dis- description of success. And that generosity as spirit reminds us of the need for community. Gratitude, wholeness, generosity leads us to community. Community. Community is the antidote to individualism. Community is what God calls us to live in because in community, we can tangibly see that we are not alone. In community, we don't need to strive for some distant future or fall into the trap of wind-thin thinking because we can feel and know the love and the joy in the here and now that we can support each other, that we're intentional about holding each other, that we do not look to our own self-interest, to the exclusion of others, but in fact, God reminds us that we are better together. We are better when our arms are linked in community and love and we experience that joy and gratitude in the present because God loves us and his love overflows from us into others. And these antidotes to wind then thinking, these antidotes rooted in God's love, we make the choice to practice them. The wind then thinking, it doesn't go away overnight as much as we wished it would. The temptation to use the future to escape our current reality is still there. But the more we practice, the more we rooted and we become. Practicing gratitude and wholeness and generosity and community rooted in God's love, we see the beauty and the joy now. And these practices, they feed into each other. And it becomes a cycle. When we remain in God's love, We remain in gratitude, wholeness, generosity, and community that the fear-based, scarcity mindset of the win-then future, it has no room in this cycle, and only God's endless, deep, abiding love that then we experience joy now because God's love is there in all circumstances, in everything. We are rooted in the present moment. We are rooted in love. We are rooted in gratitude. We are rooted in generosity. And we are rooted in community. And this community, this campus, it is building into this cycle of joy now. I, I don't know about you, but I feel it in my bones. Watching these families dedicate their children to know Jesus, watching this community come around those families, stretching our arms out and praying and saying, we are here. Watching the baptisms a couple of weeks ago, that joy was indescribable. It was beautiful. We are experiencing community now in the women in our community, the women who rise up and show us what God looks like in our mid-eats that we do, in our K-kids, in our youth ministry, joy now in the here and present in this community and focusing on the present, it is here. And it's also here in this incredible initiative for Hope Water Project. I know Joel gave us this update earlier, but I am blown away by how our community is coming together to make this bold choice to pivot from something that is familiar and that we know to instead commit to raising money for two wells. What did he say? $54,000 for two wells? That is an incredibly bold choice for us to make together as a community. And I have the privilege of knowing personally the impact that these wells will have on communities in, in Kenya for the Pokot. In 2013, I got to travel to Kenya and I saw the impact that water has on these communities. We have a picture of, a, of the gathering of women while I was there in Carry On, Kenya. And I just wanna say, wanna talk about Mother's Day, wanna talk about empowering women. Let's talk about the impact of clean water on the women in these communities you see women share c- carry the burden to find water in these communities when they don't have a well so that means they have to walk hours and miles each day to be able to clean, bring water that's not clean back to their communities but with a fresh well These women have the opportunity to have education. They have the opportunity and the time to have a microbusiness. They have the time to build into their children, into their young girls. Fresh water has an incredible impact on these communities. But digging a well is difficult. It's expensive. But this community has showed up 77% of our fundraising, that is something that we need to celebrate. We need to get up on our feet, clapping and cheering, yes. We have raised $45,000. It is unbelievable. This community shows up. This community knows what it looks like to be rooted in God's love, to have gratitude and generosity, and that there is, this is not just words. These are our actions, and there's still time. If you want to join in on this movement, there is still time to dive in. This community knows that the temptation of when-then thinking in the future, it leads to emptiness. And God has so much more for us, for you, right now. God delights in you. God created you for a reason. God's love for you is so deep and so entrenched. And that love gives us a sense of abundance and fullness and feeds into a generosity, a spirit that fuels joy now. And so we make the choice to live in the present. We make the choice to know that God is good. God is love. God's love fuels us and fills us, and we lift our voices in gratitude together, knowing that there is wholeness and richness in our community here and now. There is joy in the here and now. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you so much for your spirit and how it is so here, God, that you are building joy right here and now through your love. And God, I pray that today as we leave this space, Lord, that we continue to focus our hearts on how you are loving us and how we can trust that love. We can trust that love to extend in gratitude, generosity, wholeness, and community. God, we praise you, we thank you, and we lift our hearts up in gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and, of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.